0: Thanks for listening to the show. Join us online at playvolutionhq.com
1: and learn how to support the show at explorationsearlylearning.com slash support. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that early childhood nerd podcast. Let's get nerdy. Heather. Hello, welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. Today I'm recording with Tiffany. That's me. On her bouncing ball. Bouncing. With the baby hooked on. Baby. (laughs) Um, I'm getting better at being able to concentrate while you bounce up and down on your yoga ball. (laughs) Don't.
2: At this point, I think I could just be sitting, but if I was in a chair, his legs would just be, like, kicking me so awkwardly, <laughs> so I'm just, like, kind of perpendicular. Nice. He was almost, hmm, I left school today, because it's in service time. Yeah. Um, I left, I took him with me, and I left right when he was supposed to take a nap with me. I hoped that he would sleep on the drive home, <laughs> but no. Poor guy. Yeah. Scream, cry the whole way. Aww. So he's very tired right now, okay. and it's like it's a hot mess. Well, One of these days, he's just going to be sleeping peacefully. In his good when we record. The, like the I good thing, every day. yeah,
1: the good thing about our audience is that children noises probably aren't that distracting. <laughs> 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 they can all hear him and just. Think yeah. just keep on going. So um, I think we're gonna do. I know we're gonna do another Emily Plank quote from the Discovering the Culture of Childhood book. I know keep we've yeah. I know good. we've done at least an, one other episode, and we if we have not said it strongly enough before, read the book.
2: Read that book. Read that book.
1: Anybody who interacts in any way with children, even if read it's just <laughs> standing in line behind a family in the grocery store. Yep. Read this book. Yep. Um, It's a beautiful thing. So today's quote, are you ready? Yep. Today's quote, this episode's quote is, Conflict resolution skills require creativity and imagination, and children who have the chance to develop these skills in their early years have a broader set of conflict resolution skills as adults. Therefore, while educators worry about play themes, they should instead focus on play complexity. Ooh. Yeah, I just love the idea of play complexity. But before we get into it, I have to say I was reading the quote and just looking at you from the corner of my eye. And you picked up the book, which has a face of a child on the cover, and I thought, oh my God, someone walked into Tiffany's room. <laughs> Somebody's behind <laughs> Tiffany. I've got a warning. It's a
2: ghost. <laughs> it's the ghost of childhood past. <laughs> and it was just
1: the baby on the cover of the book. Yeah. Uh, so anyway. Um, play complexity instead of play themes. Let's talk about maybe what both of those things mean to us first. Yeah, does that make sense? So when Let's we're start with themes, yeah, when we're talking about adults being concerned with play themes, do you think that means like planning out specifically beforehand what we think children should be playing?
2: I think that means bears.
1: Mm.
2: And on the service level, it's like, oh yeah, bears. <laughs> We're going to do a thing about bears And you talk about the theme teacher And Uh getting rid of themes and paying attention to children But I think that a bridge Between true Emergent curriculum, or I guess between Planned themes And emergent curriculum is this idea of like Well these kids love dinosaurs So let's do dinosaurs Uh Right, so, so thinking about Playing
1: Centered around bears We're not saying it's necessarily a terrible thing but where did that idea of bear play come from? Like, Does it yes. come from your curriculum box because it's the third week of August? Yeah. Or does it come because you've been watching these kids and they're really into bears? Yep. And that's what we're doing. I, re-
2: reading this book, I realized I missed a great bears opportunity. Oh. Because we had a girl who was really afraid of bears last year. So afraid that she didn't want to walk to the Enchanted Forest with us. Uh, that would have been the perfect time uh, to bring out all the bears. Yeah. And pretend like, ooh, what what are you gonna do if you see a bear? Ah, uh. I'm gonna spray with this bear spray. <laughs> I'm gonna tell it I'm not Goldilocks. I'm gonna you know, like playing yeah. through that would have been really helpful for that. Yeah.
1: Why mm-hmm. well, you I have a lot of bears that. in Portland just running loose? Is that why she's afraid of
2: bears? No. <laughs> I mean, I know that there are bears where we live, and some people at the school that I work at, um, one family in particular, was like, yeah, we had to put up a fence because this bear kept playing on oh my our gosh. patio. Because
1: yeah. so, um, I have a friend in Juneau, Alaska, as opposed to other Junos. She's got pictures of bears on Facebook all the time, and she used to work at a bakery, and there was like a huge bear on the dumpster when she was trying to go try and take some trash out one day. Um, bears yeah so so yeah. again, I mean but so like in that context a bear theme might be relevant, yeah, but in another you know, here we don't have them in Indiana, just Roman free, so yeah. I I would want to see some real depth of bear interest in the children before I planned a whole thing, a whole experience around bears, yep, you know, just someone bringing in a favorite teddy bear maybe wouldn't make me think, oh, we should.
2: Let's go ham on the. We should bears. do a whole thing
1: about bears. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I guess I wasn't thinking. I, once I started talking about it, I kind of went towards the planned theme uh, when we're that talking about play themes. Thought. But initially, no, I was just thinking about. Um, so, like, when you're, and I'm using just in quotes, just watching children in free play, you know, for those those programs that have learning from nine to eleven, and then the rest of the day is free choice. Um, there was a lot of air quoting in that that the listeners aren't <laughs> going to really get to translates
2: see. To audio well, <laughs> okay, yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> but I th- I think we worry then about the themes of children's play, like when we talk about gun play or action, you know, superhero play. Oh yeah. And we, we like content, we, right? We try to really control sometimes because we're uncomfortable with the themes children are playing, and so we direct them away from. What could be, you know, there's a lot of social navigation that has to happen sometimes during superhero play, some perspective taking that could be happening during, during that kind of stuff that we then take away from them because we were uncomfortable with the theme they chose. So that's kind of what I was thinking. But what, so what about play themes that we're concerned about? So educators worry about play themes is what the quote says, um, in the context of what kind of stuff we put into the classroom or the space to begin with,
2: yeah. Um, I was going to say for broader context, this is uh, in the book under myth number three. Oh yeah, children who rehearse violent solutions. So I think oh. where you're coming from with um, the actual content uh-huh. of the play being the thing that educators think about and look at all the time. Yeah. Um and to segue back to bringing things into the classroom um, I think that can easily be like okay well we've got the blocks, we've got the paint we've got the dress up, we've got a writing station, mm-hmm. we've got the kitchen the, the kids are engaged all the time Uh huh. they're doing a thing
1: um, and, and the thing is dictated by the stuff that we put in the room yeah, for them, the some, a lot of times. Is the third teacher. Yeah. Teacher?
2: I mess that up every
1: time. <laughs> right, right. But I think the the other side of that quote, you know, I don't disagree with that. The environment as third teacher or whatever, mm-hmm. but uh, is it a good teacher or a bad teacher? Yeah, is part of that conversation too, because children are going gonna learn, but is it what we want them to learn, and is it what it's what's most important for them to learn? Um, so I think sometimes I, 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 this, so now I'm on checklists, things that teachers have to have in their room, whether that comes from licensing or accreditation or just the program they're part of, um, or the classes they took.
2: And connected to emergent and themes, Uh um, say, oh yeah, all the kids are really, you know, this group really likes space. We're learning about space. Let's go through that checklist and make sure we have books about space and yeah. make sure we have space available in Play-Doh and space available in art and space available in literacy uh-huh. and, you know, right. integrating space into all the things.
1: Right, but, which speaks to the complexity part here, the, yeah. the worrying about play complexity. But I think what often happens is they get... Uh, I know I saw this a lot in, you know, every center I've been in and my whole life, including where I was a classroom teacher, but um, mm-hmm. sometimes we would get into the classroom what that checklist said. So, for example, if it said, like Indiana's um, Paths to Quality system, you have to have three to five materials in each area. So, three to five art materials, three to five literacy materials in your, not, in, so in the block area, they're not saying you have to have three to five of everything, but three to five materials of blocks, three to five materials of art, three to five materials in math. And it's, <laughs> okay. it's really confusing. But anyway, I think we get that bare minimum and then we don't do anything more with it. Or yeah. we don't add it or change it or challenge it. And that sometimes then loses complexity over time. Like when it's brand new and the children are all using it, They still may be playing in very complex ways, but when that's the 40th day that all that's been in the art area is dried up markers, broken crayons, (laughs) and coloring pages, um, that hits the the checklist. That's three items, but it's not complex play.
2: Yeah, and this can be said... I think for anything that you start with. So you are you sound like you're describing kind of a worn out station. Yes, yeah. Uh, or I say station. Yeah, interest That's area, kind of learning area. Buzzword. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it can go for, even if you have the most beautiful art area, if you aren't thinking about how the children are using the materials and um, constantly engaging and being fluid with your planning and fluid with your observations and allowing that area to evolve over time, uh-huh. then I think you're missing the complexity too.
1: Right. Or if you feel like you still need to control how children use all those materials.
2: Yeah. Um, so
1: I'm thinking about sand tables now. Um, mm-hmm. If, if mm-hmm. they've got to, and I know I've used this example before, but it's just the kind of a, a recent experience, but um You know, I was playing in a sand table with three-year-olds, and there was all the very typical funnels and scoops and um, measuring cups and things that were all good and recommended to have in sand play areas. But what they wanted to do was take the sand and put it on the regular table or watch it fall from a great height (laughs) or Mm -hmm. um, uh, scoop it all to one side of the sand table or dump it on the floor. And that was all complex play really I mean some adults would see that as messiness or disobedience or irresponsible use of materials but what I saw was yeah. complexity because they were tr- they were experimenting with that sand and what can they do and how does it change when I do it this way and that way so finding ways to make it okay for them to do that experimenting and addressing my own comfort level became really important <laughs> for the complexity yeah. of the play that we were trying to, to let them have. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, let's go backwards in the quote a little bit and talk about conflict resolu- resolution skills, um, and how play complexity contributes
2: Have we really to that. defined what play complexity is yet? Oh,
1: oh, you know, you're right. We, we skipped, we jumped right into talking about it, but Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about, let's define play complexity and then go back to conflict resolution.
2: Uh, Play complexity to me is, mm, I think of deep play. Okay. Uh, Are the kids engaged in bringing new things and connecting their play to other things? Mm Mm-hmm. Might be a first question of play complexity. Mm-hmm. Like bringing
1: materials, I'm just going into the typical classroom model again, bringing things from the block area into the art area, yeah. or things from the art area into the block area. Or Are saying
2: to themselves, like, ooh, I am making this thing with my blocks, and I would like to also make a carpet. Uh-huh. I know where to get those things. <laughs> um, but that might be an artificial level of complexity.
1: Why is that artificial?
2: Because don't you have to... I mean, yes, it is complexity. But I think that's also age-dependent. Okay. Uh, like, would a two-year-old think, I want to make a carpet, so oh. I'm going to think to like look in this bin where I remember carpet being that one time? Yeah. Uh-uh. yeah. I'm going to look around and like access the things they can see. Yeah. Or
1: be just kind of... Monkeying around in the box and see the carpet and think, "Oh, this connects to something I remember." I have carpet yeah. at my house, and so sometimes the complexity is driven by what you have available. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, this will be the time in our discussion, I think, where I yeah. bring up play schemas.
1: Oh, good! Right. I Do you love you with
2: play schemas. Um,
1: maybe not, but I love the word schema.
2: Okay, so. Play schemas were introduced to me by my friend Allison Uh in um, a recent podcast she did with Q&A. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Play schemas are the seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different generalizing types of play. Uh Uh-huh. And um, the idea is that kids will... um, Like, you can understand a child's passions better and increase the complexity of the play by understanding the type of play that they're interested in. Okay. So an example here would be transporting.
0: Uh Uh-huh, yeah.
2: Picking things up, moving them, dumping them down, using a basket to carry things around, usually having full hands. So if a kid is into transporting play, how can you bring that element of play into other areas in the classroom? Uh Uh-huh. How can you say, ooh, you're really into transporting. It seems like you're sort of peripherally into playing with Play-Doh. Yeah. So how can I introduce transporting into the Play-Doh so that you now, like, connect these things in a new way?
1: Yeah. So, okay, so that just, that's taken me in a couple directions now. Okay. A couple soapboxes. I'm going to jump on here for a second. Because that idea that transporting is a specific kind of play... That we need to observe for, support, facilitate, um, extend, whatever you want to call it, is is an example of how we get to be part of magic every day in working with young children, and we have a choice to see that as I am seeing the magic of play development in front of me, or God damn it, now I've got to clean up that bucket of blocks that he carried into the other area.
2: Yes. Okay. And I was so. Talking about like- which way are you going No, so
1: No, so then we're faced with this choice. Which teacher do we want to be? Do we want to be the one that's worried all day about cleanup and order and keeping things where they're supposed to be? Or do we want to be the one who's part of magic <laughs> and get yes. to seeing it unfold? And I think that's yes. an amazing opportunity that we miss so often because we get bogged down in the, the, the hard stuff of the day-to-day work and, you know, the stress of living in somewhat cluttered environments and... Um, or just not having ever been presented with the idea that transporting is a specific kind of play. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, I, I think about toddler teachers and how exhausting it is to feel like all you do all day long is pick things back up that they've dumped off the shelves and um, putting them back up on the shelves in their baskets and, and just feeling like you're fighting a losing battle. But you're not. You're supporting transportive play. <laughs> Yes. And I think that's awesome and exciting. The other thing I, then... I oh. like...
2: Oh, no, go ahead. Um, I like thinking about these play schemas as um, a backwards road. Okay. I'm not going to put out... I'm not going to help construct avenues for transporting play to take place. That's not what this is about. Uh-huh. I'm going to identify that a child enjoys transporting play. And make that available in different areas. Yeah. Because... You're not going to have uh, a
1: transporting interest area.
2: Exactly. Where the shelves are stocked with transporting myself, like, things. i got to make sure that my transporting is checked for every station. <laughs> yeah. What I'm going to do is say, hey, this kid or this group of kids is really into transporting. Uh-huh. I want to make buckets available. I want to make... Um, Carrying things available. Uh I want to make movement. I want to put a pulley in. I want to, you know, instead of doing water at this table, or how about this, instead of doing sand, I'm going to leave the water table empty and have them help me fill it with these things. Uh huh.
1: Oh, how Uh, fun. Now I want to do that.
2: So maybe I'm in that stage of play. (laughs) (laughs) So trying to think, trying to identify what schema of play the child is in and then increasing the complexity and the availability mm-hmm. of that play. Right. I when would I add... About, when I think about complexity, that's what I think about. Yeah,
1: and I think that's um, that sounds really fun. I would add that I would say those things out loud in front of the children. Like I would be saying, maybe if yeah, I'm just saying yeah. it to the air, um, I've noticed that so-and-so really likes transporting things in buckets lately. I wonder what else I could... Because then you're modeling problem solving and complex thinking and vocabulary, but all in a really organic yeah. way and not in a teacher talk forcing vocabulary kind of way.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I wish, so I've, I've learned about these play schemas later and there are yeah. a couple here that like, um, so the ones on this list are transporting, transforming, trajectory, Rotation, and circularity, enclosure and enveloping, connecting and disconnecting. Uh-huh. And it's not there a checklist that they have to right. achieve. No. Yeah. Definitely not. It's like a personality test. <laughs> and looking at this now, like, ooh, I had somebody who was really into transforming last year. And I could not figure out how to get her enticed into anything but gluing and mixing. <laughs> Yeah, and at the time I'm like, this must be what she needs to do. She needs to glue and mix. Uh-huh. But had I thought about it from the transforming aspect, uh-huh. I would have been able to say, like, let's let's do some melting. Let's do some sand in one side of the table, water in the other. Let's you know uh-huh. increase the options to her because maybe she's only doing the gluing. And the paint mixing, because that's the only sort of transforming play that she finds available.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Maybe hm. she just really likes to paint in blue. I don't know.
1: <laughs> but you won't know until you give some other options.
2: Right? And until and i then you learn more into it.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Which I think feeds right into another soapbox. So there's two more soapboxes I've got to do here. Oh, but, let's get them. So the one that that let's just reminded go. me of is, again, um, uh, as a teacher, your job can be so much deeper and more rewarding if you're constantly looking and observing and go and and making some adjustments based on what you're seeing, rather than yeah. just making sure you hit your checklist every day, or for some, yeah. just making sure you survive the day. You know, um, so. I think when you when you look at your job as that of a scientist gathering data from the little experiments you see all around you every day <laughs> yeah. in their play and then deciding what you could do with that information and trying that idea and then gathering more data I think and this is you know I haven't done any research and I'm not for any in any way judging folks who feel burned out but I think you're less likely to get burned out if that's the way you you spend all your days
2: Yep I don't think it has to be I think you and I think about it in that scientific lens. Yeah, I think you could also think about it through the getting to know children on a deeper level. Oh, absolutely. So you're you're describing the relationship.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, your relationships become deeper. Yeah, because yeah. of that. Yeah. Because of that observation you're doing. So then the third soapbox. It's all just the third three fingers. The I'll do just so we can move on. But when we're talking about play schema again, um, and now I'm all yeah. excited, and you know that's what I'm going to spend my whole night doing after we're done recording. Um, uh, If we look at the three core considerations of developmentally appropriate practice, which I love to do, the first one is what do we know about children in general at this age? And I think that's easy to get that information. And then the next one is what do we know about these individual children who are with us in this room at this time, and how can I use that information to, to provide the best possible experience for them. And understanding these seven play schema is another way to individualize the program that you're offering.
2: Yeah. I'm, I would say it wouldn't necessarily have to be this these play schemas.
1: Oh, no, not necessarily. Just but the these are. We
2: are choosing. Right,
1: right. It's one way. Yeah, I'm not way. saying we should all just become play schema people and that takes care of core consideration number two. But it certainly gives us another lens to yeah. look at individual children through, and to individualize the program by. Yeah, if that makes I sense. I like
2: I like that. I like having a lens to look at the program through, mm-hmm. like um, developmentally appropriate practice. The four core guidelines, I think, is a good. The I love to look at things developmental through
1: domains, the social emotional.
2: Yes, language developmental domains physical word I can never remember. Yeah. but yes. Yeah. So I like to look at parts of the classroom like that. Uh Okay. In our dress up corner, do we have access to all the developmental domains at this given point in time? If not, what can I do to make that accessible at all times?
1: Right. And I think that pulls it back to the idea of play complexity. We can throw those four developmental domains in there. So it's physical, social, emotional, which is one domain, even though it's two words, um, cognitive, cognitive, and language. So language literacy. Language literacy, yeah. Um, uh, if we're looking at, say, a block area and trying to decide if we have opportunities for them to practice all four of those developmental domains, then that's adding to the complexity of play that they have an opportunity for. Yeah,
2: exactly.
1: Yeah, so I think thinking in terms of play complexity also helps stretch us past... That narrow focus of just cognitive and literacy or language that outside pressures kind of force us to focus on. Yeah. And make sure that we're including the other two domains as well. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. I
2: like it. I like
1: it. Here we go, solving all the problems.
2: <laughs> Done. Problem
1: solved. <laughs> Problem solved. Um, all right. What else? Did we define complexity? Sufficiently? Yeah. Did we did we nail it?
2: I think so. <laughs> I think complexity is also dictated by the child. Okay. Right? Because who are we to say, "Oh, your play isn't very complex." Right. But I think that it is. I don't know. I think as an educator, worrying about that is more productive than worrying about play themes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think hmm, it's another you, reason to know children really well, and to know individuals, yeah. because you know if you're in a classroom, especially like you, you've got three to five year olds, right? Yes. You're gonna have such a wide range. I mean, even if you only had three year olds, you'd have a wide range of development and experience, and yes, um, but especially with a three to five group. Um. Yeah, one one child just adding Popsicle sticks to their Play-Doh could be a level of complexity they've never tried out before. Uh-huh. But for another child, that would be really basic. Like, I've yeah. been doing Popsicle sticks with my Play-Doh since I was one. I'm over yeah. it. <laughs> I totally. need something deeper.
2: Hmm. Yeah. I think about, uh, in the situation... The kids that only want to play tiny animals every day, all day. Uh Uh-huh. And I think worrying about their play complexity because they play the same thing every day, the point is not, oh, you need to do something different. The point is I, as an educator, need to observe their play Mm -hmm. and make sure that they have everything they need to engage in that complex play.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, and just watching really closely... You know, just on the surface, we may just see all they ever do is play with those tiny animals. But if we're really paying attention day by day, their play may be changing a lot, even though the prop is still the tiny animal.
2: Yeah, the things
1: they're doing and the conversations the animals are having with each other or the people that join them for that play could all be evolving. And we may not notice that if we're just looking at tiny animals and thinking, oh, my early childhood teacher said... Girls only play with this kind of play, and I need to challenge them to play with another kind of play. <laughs> and I've gotta, yeah. I've yeah. gotta make them go to the block area. <laughs> yeah, yep. Um, hmm, we have a huge responsibility as teachers of young children to know our stuff.
2: You've gotta know our and stuff, and to
1: observe our children. Yeah. Huh. So you know, I haven't been working with. Directly with children for almost a little over a month now.
2: Dude. I miss it. I haven't. It's been four months for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I miss it a lot.
1: I feel like I need to go find a group of young children to play with.
2: Start a play group.
1: (laughs) Maybe I will. Just drop them off at my house. I'm cool. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry. It's cool. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a weirdo or anything. I'll just put that on my brochure. In quotes. Not a weirdo. Oh, I love it. Um, I mean, I am kind of a weirdo. That would be a lie. But not in a way that's dangerous to children, is what I'm saying.
2: Yeah.
1: I've said too much. (laughs) Let's get back to Emily Plank. Oh, Emily
2: Plank. Um, I love you, Emily Plank.
1: You know what? I do, too. She's
2: just delightful. Right. we
1: Um, We need to get her someday.
2: Yeah, the, the quote itself is in the context of um, violent play.
1: Right.
2: Let's touch on that.
1: Okay. I mean, we sort of started when, when I was talking yeah. about play themes that adults worry about, because it is, I, I have a complicated relationship with gun play, because in my personal life, I'm very anti-gun, and wish I lived in a world where they were not ever necessary. Um and so that, that sort of affected what I was comfortable letting children play in classrooms. But it's also very hard to explain to families, you know, to our customers, whatever, uh, why we allow gun play in the classroom or superhero play that looks violent. Um, so, so there's lots of valid reasons, I think, for us to feel some discomfort when we're talking about this kind of play. Yeah. But I don't know that they outweigh the benefit and the value.
2: I agree with you. Of, and that's of where a, that complexity comes in. Yeah. Um, if this is what, if the theme of the play is what you're hanging up on and you're not seeing the deeper value, mm-hmm. then you're missing the point. Mm-hmm. Can we just um, rapid fire play themes that sure. make adults uncomfortable? Yes. <laughs>
1: guns, superheroes, potty talk. Oh my gosh, potty talk, boys in dramatic play. Yeah. Um. Um, Wait,
2: there are mm -hmm. so many different levels of that. Do you mean boys dressing up?
1: Yeah, and and playing with dolls.
2: I was playing with dolls. Also, boys playing with dolls and stripping them down naked and. Being mean to them, right. which is like—is <laughs> that a thing? Kind of doll
1: play. Yes. I have not seen that kind of what? doll play.
2: <laughs> That's like, oh, baby dolls have a butt. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> let thank it.
1: <laughs> okay, Let's yes. Head
2: backwards. That. That's different. And as yes. a mom, you're like, "Oh my god, that baby! What are you doing to it?" But as a boy, you're just like, "Ah, this is so raunchy." <laughs> right?
1: Yeah. Yeah,
2: or a girl. Well, I don't mean
1: the gender you know, community. you know, I think that goes to, and this should be a podcast. I keep thinking this, and I forget the development of children's sense of humor also follows oh, a really yeah. predictable kind of path, and yes. that kind of potty talk joking that makes us uncomfortable is actually, you know, or just you know, saying poopy butt and thinking that's the funniest thing is actually a demonstration that they're moving along that path. Yeah, um, oh, I the, love this. The more we know about that, I'm making a note right now. Sense you and me, of baby. humor. <laughs> I took a
2: class on humor in the classroom. Did you? Uh, two years ago. Yeah, it was a great class.
1: Cool. Yeah, but I think that's another important thing. Um, what else? We're rapid firing still. Plays that makes us Curse uncomfortable. Words. Curse words. Yep. That I could
2: go into talk.
1: Could go on and on. Um, meth. Not meth.
2: Mess, anyway. <laughs> not for me or for you. Obviously, mess play. Right, so. mess
1: play makes me really uncomfortable. That makes me
2: uncomfortable. Messy
1: play, not so much. Yeah. yeah.
2: but some people that would be. I think that's a. Yeah. Stereotypical adult fear. Uh huh.
1: And play. I, th- I think everything that we just listed off. More teachers are probably comfortable with it than than we than we think initially. If they didn't have to explain it to other adults. Yeah. Like, if there wasn't that pressure to make your case, or if you weren't feeling like people were watching you and judging, I think a lot more of us would, would be less concerned about gunplay and sexual curiosity stuff. And um, I'm talking Ooh, about typically be- developing sexual curiosity stuff, not like red flag stuff.
2: Sexual curiosity play would be up there, too. like Uh-huh. We're married. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um,
1: Ooh, I had one hmm, and yeah. I lost it. I'm just going through the list of things I've heard being banned and forbidden. I mean, just too active play indoors sometimes.
2: Yeah.
1: Here's something that drives me crazy. So in an early childhood classroom... We don't want kids to run and climb and jump and whatever. But then we have like a playroom or an active playroom or a gym in the center, and we take them in there and we let them do the same that kind of play, even though the materials look the same as what's in the classroom they just left.
2: Oh, but it's different because we call
1: there? it a different name. Yeah, I see that a lot in lots of lots of places. It be
2: just like covered in wrestling mats,
1: right? And a center that I worked in a long, long time ago when I still lived in Nebraska. Um, we had the big room. There were each, We each had our classroom or whatever, then we had the big room. And every classroom had its time to use the big room. But the materials were the same. It was divided into the same kind of interest areas. There was just more open space. So, so we, we would tell children in the classroom, we don't want you to climb on that. Don't get under the table. Don't get up on the chair, blah, blah, blah. That's not safe. But then we take them to another classroom that looks pretty much the same and yeah. say, this is the room where it's safe
2: this room's okay yeah
1: yeah we're not helping them develop complex thinking skills we're confusing yeah. them in that case sorry that was a big aside but that's legit but active play they make some people yeah. um play. and i think gun play, superhero play and that kind of just active play are the three and places exclusionary
2: play exclusionary play, play Boys only. Oh, yeah. Oh,
1: right. Yeah, you know, that would have driven me crazy a couple years ago, too. Um, But that's where the conflict resolution skill development opportunities come in. Yeah. And I'm not saying we get in and we referee, although sometimes they need our coaching and they need our language modeling and they need our, you know, help to slow things down. But just letting them work some of that stuff out Mm
2: -hmm.
1: is really valuable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it is something that a lot of adults are uncomfortable with because we don't have good conflict resolution skills or we are uncomfortable when there's conflict.
2: Or because we're raging feminists and we're like, what do you mean a girl can't play with
1: <laughs> That too, yes. Which is like
2: <laughs> most of the time my reaction. <laughs> girls can do whatever they want to do. What do you mean? <laughs> fascist. No voice allowed. Excuse me. <laughs> You're a three
1: year old fascist. <laughs> Yes, definitely. That has um, affected my thinking, too. Um, and Or even in those uncomfortable conversations with the dad who's worried that his little boy has a dress on or that his little boy's playing with dolls, I have an immediate feminist reaction and an immediate gay ally reaction.
2: Right. That I and have it's to... it's just a kid playing. Right,
1: yeah. It's just... It, the dress looks fun. It feels pretty. <laughs> It feels different when they wear it. They can spin, and it feels different. And we had one little boy who was really into wigs, and he just loved that feeling of flipping it over his shoulder, I think, because he would just sit and flip it around, and his dad had a real hard time with that. Oh, Um, interesting. The other kids didn't care. You know, the teachers didn't care, but it was dad's hang-up, which created stress.
2: Ah. Yeah. I feel sorry that it created stress. Me
1: Chris. too. That poor little boy. Also, he would participate in anything you asked him to participate in if you let him wear a wig. Wow! But if you made him put that wig away and wanted him to sit in a group,
2: done. You're out of luck. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yep. That's funny.
1: Curtis used to wear a silky pink cape. And um, when he went to kindergarten, his teacher wouldn't let him wear it in the classroom, but he could have it in his backpack and he could wear it when he waited for the bus. Which was an interesting compromise. And really probably when it's more fun to wear your silky pink cape anyway. Right? When you're outside and the wind can blow it and you can jump off of things.
2: I agree. (laughs) Cape's outside.
1: The best. The best. Yeah. Grandma made his.
2: Outside, yeah. By the way.
1: Grandma made his Ernie doll a matching silky pink cape.
2: Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> oh, my God.
1: It gosh. was great. And he also usually had cowboy boots and shorts on with it. If
2: we're just <laughs> completing that mental picture. Oh. My... Was like, thanks for and yeah. all that, yeah. Mom.
1: He kind of still, you know, doesn't mind wearing a pretty dress every now and again.
2: <laughs> Every now and again. Oh, that's great. Kurt, my husband um, used to have long flowing hair in high yeah.
1: school. Yeah. Kurt still to that does. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, okay, so we play complexity is what we're talking about here. Getting back to. <laughs> kind of got off on, you know.
2: So, yeah, instead of hanging up on the thing that they're doing. Uh-huh. And maybe that would be helpful when a parent is like, "Why is my boy Wearing a dress over there, uh huh. Maybe you can say, "Isn't this an intre- Like, l- here are all the interesting ways that this play is complex. Uh huh. Him right now.
1: Yeah, I think also the more comfortable we become observing children's play and then adding what needs to be added or not messing with it when it doesn't need to be messed with, the more mm-hmm. we're doing that just inside our own head, the better. The more comfortable we're going to be doing it when we have that challenging moment where someone is like, "Why are you allowing this play?" Because we're we're being intentional about it. We've already thought it all through. And so we may still have that knee-jerk, you know, stomach-clenching reaction. But we're more prepared to just say, you know, I've been watching him, and there was a lot of problem-solving. And then I saw him try this new idea, and, you know, this didn't work, so he tried something else. And just taking the conversation in a completely different direction.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's think a great plan.
1: Generally, we need to all become better at articulating what's happening when children play.
2: Yeah. And but it's a fine line between articulation and defending. Is it? I think it is. What do you mean? Um I I strive this year, so every year I set a word that defines how I focus my oh, practice. Cool. This year's word is transparency. Okay. Um, I want <laughs> parents, I want other staff members, I want administration to see what we're doing and understand it uh-huh. and not have it be, not, they shouldn't have to wait and ask me and be oh, curious. I do right. want to tell them.
1: Yeah. So make- in my mind, I call that managing expectations when I think about that. Like I want to get as much uh, out there beforehand so that I'm not coming in behind when people are already confused or angry or weird yeah. about it.
2: Yeah, I've sort yeah. of already
1: set up what they're expecting to see.
2: Yeah, um,
1: yeah, which, uh-huh. you which agree, guy? Yeah, so maybe that's just before they even say, oh. "Oh my God, why is he in a dress?" We just say, "Guess what I saw today."
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and this is and this here's is the play. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, and here's,
1: and here's, here's what I'm, I'm gonna wondering. add, or here's yeah, yeah, yep. yep, cool.
2: Um, oh, I was going somewhere with that though. Okay. Oh, so I think that there's a difference, though, between wanting to articulate what we do in the classroom.
1: Oh. (laughs) He wants to stretch. You
2: want to be out.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're almost done. (laughs)
2: We're almost done. Um, But there's a difference between articulating what you're doing Uh as you're doing it Uh so that, you know, it's part of meaningful practice for you. Uh Uh-huh. It's part of meaningful interactions with parents. I think there's a difference between that and defending it and saying like, um, always being on that defensive side. Right. Like, oh, but we're, we're playing and playing is important and here's why. And let me tell you 500 reasons why right. play is important. Right. I think that that's, yes, play is important. And yes, we should share why it's important. But, but it's it not as effective
1: in that moment because the other person is happy. already having a feeling about what's happening.
2: Yeah. If you're... And just, you know, you're always on the defensive then. If you're waiting for somebody to say, well, why do you allow gunplay? Yeah. You're waiting for that moment to tell them why instead of saying, hey, I saw. Yeah. You know, this is the type of play that your child is engaging in. And here's why what they're doing is off. Yeah.
1: And I think that's the that's the time when I think that like a display board is really effective. Taking pictures of children in play putting it up there and with some just little quick bits about what they're learning or why they're doing it or what our decision-making process is when we see that kind of play. Um, And just having that be a constant of your program. Because having to constantly defend yourself gets wearing too. It will wear you down and you'll, you'll stop defending or you'll stop practicing the way you believe or you'll just be grouchy about it and be tired and it will wear you down. I think.
2: Uh, yeah. Which it is does. hard. Yeah. It does. Oh. Um, we're using Story Park this year.
1: I don't know what that is.
2: Oh, boy. <laughs> it's an app that um, allows you to post pictures of your classroom, and then when you tag a child, it'll notify the parent, like, hey, oh cool. Got a photo.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Um, parents own the rights to all the photos of their kids on uh-huh. like, Facebook because Facebook owns the rights to Right. Family. Oh. Um, it's a closed system, so there's no sharing on the internet.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Um, it's not public at all. It's just, you know, within the app. And as a parent, you can save the stuff for you to keep. Uh-huh. So cool. about sharing with the world. Like well, a blog.
1: Two things blog. I'll be yeah. looking at when we're done.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. Just because, like, I don't think the world <laughs> and the history of the world needs to see the learning stories from my three-year-old. Oh, okay. I think their family needs to know. Sure. But I don't know if that's just like a thing that the whole world needs to know forever because the internet is forever and it's true. Ready. Yeah. 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 Um, other things with Story Park, you set what's called learning sets. Uh-huh. Um, which means that you import, not import, you like create a bunch of hashtags uh-huh. in the app and then you can tag pictures and learning stories oh fun
1: well i'll be playing i've got
2: got the play schemas in story park and play
1: schemas that's the rest of my uh, evening
2: (laughs) it's gonna be a fun party ahead that's right
1: (laughs) come on over everyone um okay well i think uh i think we did a good job with that one yeah that was fun um any last thoughts challenges for people who are listening
2: challenges make sure that you're look that you're knowing your children Mm -hmm. and that the children in your practice you're getting to know them is a two-way street Mm
1: -hmm. you're
2: looking at it from what do you bring to the table child and you're looking at it from what can i bring to your table too
1: right yeah i think we leave we leave one out of sometimes or we try to bring to the table before we know what they're waiting for (laughs) yeah yeah exactly yeah all right well thanks Guy, you did a good job. Yeah, good job. Little dude bouncing around now. Okay, well, thank you guys for listening (laughs) to another episode. We'll see you again on that early childhood nerd. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on.
0: This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production.
1: Oh
0: hey, we need your support to keep the podcasts flowing. Go to explorations early
1: slash support to learn how. One of the big things you can do is shop Amazon with the link we provide. You buy your cat food, you buy your kids books, you buy whatever it is you buy on Amazon, you pay the regular price. We get a small percentage of it. Everybody
2: wins. A lot of people are doing it. It really supports the shows and we really appreciate it. Give it a try. Thanks.